Revelation chapter number 18, please. The book of Revelation chapter number 18. And thank you again for being in the service today. Revelation chapter number 18. As you find verse 1, if you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll honor the Word of God by standing for the reading of today's text. You know, we've been traveling through the book of Revelation now for a long while. And we finally come to the 18th chapter. The Lord willing, we'll preach a message today and one more. The Lord willing, one more. And then we'll enter into chapter number 19. And it won't be long until we'll be finished with the book of Revelation. You thought we'd never get to the end of it, didn't you? And here we are. We can see the finish line almost out there in front of us. Still several messages to preach um, from this wonderful book of the Bible. Revelation 18, beginning in verse 1, reading down through verse 8, the Bible says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities." Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. I'm interested this morning in the fall of commercial Babylon. Would you pray with us and for us, please? Our fathers, we bow these with grateful hearts. Thank you for those that have come, for those that saw the need to stay away because of health concerns. I pray that you bless them greatly today. Father, for uh, this service at hand, we thank you. We thank you for the congregational singing, the choir singing, the playing of the piano, the leading by Brother Greg, these Jenkins ladies singing to our hearts. Now, fathers, we come to your word. We pray that you bless the reading and the preaching of it to our hearts. You tell us in thy word, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We pray the Holy Spirit be Lord over this service. That be liberty liberty to preach and hear, liberty to draw nigh unto thee. I would pray, though we are off in number today, God, there could be someone here lost without Christ. I pray that you might convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Show them their need of Christ. Draw them to Calvary that they might be born again this very day. We thank you for the blessed gospel, the glorious gospel of our blessed God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that glad day, yea, that happy day when you saved our souls. I do pray, Lord, that you might strengthen someone here today badly, 
in this world as a child of God. Give them grace, give them strength, and draw them close to your heart. Now, Father, we ask for thy servant that you might grant to us wisdom that only you can grant, clarity of thought and clarity of speech that we might preach pleasing to thee. We pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Yea, we pray for the anointing, the unction of the Holy Spirit. Help us to labor in the Spirit here behind the pulpit and help those that have come to listen in the Spirit in the pew. Help us today, we pray. Now, Father, we do want to thank you. We want to thank you for your mercies this day. We want to thank you for, as a nation, for having a president that would call this country to prayer on this day. You know the many needs, the many needs we readily see, and there's so many we do not see. We pray for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for his family. We pray for his cabinet members. I pray that you'll lead him and lead them. Strengthen us. Draw our hearts to thee. Help us to be reminded, even in these days, Lord, of the beauty of simplicity. And, Father, draw our hearts to Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. We'll preach one more message. Of course, may preach two out of this 18th chapter, but one for sure with the remainder of the verses that we did not read this morning out of this 18th chapter. But I'm interested in the fall of commercial uh, Babylon. We're nearing that time in the book of Revelation when Jesus shall return to this earth. When he returns to this earth, of course, he is going to uh, sit upon the throne of David for a thousand years. It's referred to as the millennium or the millennial reign of Christ. There are many in churches who do not believe in the millennial reign of Christ, but we believe that, you believe that, because it's taught in the Word of God. When we were in Revelation chapter number 17, we saw the ecumenical system, the one world uh, church, if you will. And uh, it is called in chapter number 17, the great whore, the mother of harlots, and Babylon. We called it religious Babylon, uh, of course, because it will be a world council of churches. It will be a worldwide uh, every uh, belief system will be under one umbrella uh, during the days of the tribulation. The Antichrist will use that one world uh, joining of religions and, and denominations and what have you. He'll use that uh, to serve his own purposes and help to rise to power. But when he's finished with it, he'll turn his back on the religious system and he'll destroy it as will the leaders of the world. We learned that in chapter 17 as we were closing our last message. He'll also turn his back, we believe, on the false prophet. In Revelation 17, verse 16, the Bible says, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, they shall hate the whore. That's that religious system. They shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They'll destroy this worldwide church, if you will. They're finished with it. And so, uh, unbeknownst to them, they're serving God's own purposes out to the team. They don't know that God is so in control that he can even use the devil to bring about his own purposes. In Revelation 17, verse number 17, by the way, there's you something you can rest in right there. Uh, in these days, just knowing that God is on the throne. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what virus or flu, or anything else may be rampant in this country, you can rest, in the sure, uh, rest assured that God 
When we were, were rejoicing in our last revival in July of last summer, as Brother Dana Williams preached to our hearts, God was keenly aware of where we would be this day in March of, 20, uh, of this, uh, this uh, particular day in time. And it hasn't thrown him, and it should not throw us. As a matter of fact, when difficulties come in my life, that's one of the great comforts uh, where I find peace in is just knowing that God is on his throne and God knows all about whatever we may face. But in chapter 17, verse number 17, you remember the Bible says, For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. The actions of the Antichrist, the leaders of the world during that time, uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be hemmed up or, and headed in a direction that uh, is going to help to bring this thing to a close. We're living in a time where you hear the word ecumenical quite often. As a matter of fact, ever since about 1995, I think that was the first time I, I heard the word ecumenical used and uh, started trying to figure out what it meant. And, and, uh, but all of this ecumenicalism, this lay your doctrine aside, we've all got to get along for a higher purpose and a higher calling. Uh, lay aside your doctrinal differences and come together uh, for one main cause. That's just playing into this uh, one world church that is soon to be upon the face of the earth. Now, as we move here into chapter number 18, we see that Babylon not only represents a religious system, but it also represents an economic system, a commercial system, uh, a global economy, if you will. Not only will people during the tribulation, not only will they worship under one religious banner, but there'll be a one-world market. There'll be a one-world currency. We've already looked at, and I'll read some verses here in a little bit to remind us, but we've already looked at how that uh, you'll have to receive those that are on planet Earth in order to buy or sell, to get gain, to trade in any way. They'll have to receive the mark of the beast, either in their right hand or in their forehead. But we hear a lot of talk these days, do we not? about the global market, the global economy. As a matter of fact, uh, there are such organizations as the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. I remember all the talk that was going on back when the European countries, whenever they uh, got together and they come up with the currency of the euro, you know, there were some of those particular countries that joined the European Union and and uh, they come about with this uh, one uh, common currency, the euro. I remember all the talk. Everybody thought the first seal had been opened on the seven-sealed book whenever that had happened. And uh, that's just playing into where, where, where this world is headed. If you were to turn on Fox News, especially Fox Business, if you were to turn it on this afternoon, as well as a lot of other media outlets, you'll hear this global economy, this global market. I was trying to look some things up yesterday in my study, and I was thinking about this term globalization. You hear it from time to time. I looked up the definition of it. Globalization is this. It is the process by which businesses or other organizations develop international influence or start operating on an international uh, scale. And, and, of course, uh, that's what it's coming to. I mentioned those verses out of Revelation 6, or excuse me, Revelation 13, concerning this receiving of the mark of the beast during the days of the tribulation. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17 says, And he, that is the Antichrist, the beast, that is he, the Bible says, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. 
and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. He'll control the commerce of the world uh, with this particular uh, mark. Now, now, we believe that the global economy is going to crash simply because of what is recorded right here in Revelation chapter number 18. God's going to see to that. As a matter of fact, as we were closing last week, I made this, these uh, brief statements. Anything that is anti-God is bound to fail. Anything that is anti-Scripture is bound to fail. Anything that's anti-Christ is bound to fail. Anything that's anti-Holy Spirit is going to collapse. It's going to fall. Even the devil. Some would contend, well, he's been running rampant now for some 6,000 years. Um, Maybe he'll just be loose for the rest of time and all of eternity, but not so. Even the devil is going to have his day when he will be cast into the lake of fire. He's coming to an end, friend, as far as what uh, we know him to be and, and the actions that he takes. When you come to Revelation chapter 17 and chapter number 18, you find that what the Lord is going to do is is he's going to destroy the kingdoms of this world uh, just prior to coming to this world and setting up his rule uh, from the throne of David in Jerusalem. When you come to chapter 18, verse number 1 says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven. This phrase, after these things, indicates that the events of chapter 17 that we've read about, you remember we wound up two messages there, intended on just one, but we wound up two messages there. After these things, the idea of this phrase is after a period of time, after this other has taken place, after the Antichrist turns his back on the religious world during the tribulation, after just a span of time, then these things you read about, and chapter number 18 will come to pass. Let me just briefly mention this again. In chapter number 17, you see religious Babylon. In chapter number 18, you see commercial Babylon. You also can make a case, as you could in chapter 17, for the political system that will be in place during those days of tribulation. Now, as these events open in chapter number 18, John sees here in verse number 1 another, another uh, angel, the Bible says. And this another uh, beloved, it comes from the word another of, uh, of the same kind. When you go to chapter 17 in verse 1, when John saw, the Bible says, one of the seven angels which had, uh, which had the seven vials. Now he's seeing one of those seven. It's one of the same kind. It's one of the same. One of these seven angels. Here he comes forth. And uh, the Bible says that, uh, uh, that uh, here in uh, the opening part of chapter number 18, As he describes this angel, the Bible speaks of this angel as having great power, and the earth was lightened uh, with his glory. The angel's power speaks of his authority. He'll have great authority as he steps out, uh, as he steps out of heaven. Under this darkened stage of this earth, he will illuminate the entire earth. Can you imagine what God can do with one lone angel? Can you imagine what he's going to do when he sets everything in order? When the Lord Jesus comes back to this world? In Revelation 18, verse number 2, you'll notice the message this angel bears. The Bible says in verse number 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. This angel has great authority, and he speaks with great, uh, great clarity. His message is clear. We looked at chapter 14 and chapter number 16. You remember we looked at some verses which anticipate and prophesy the fall of Babylon. These systems that will be implemented uh, by the devil, the, uh, 
uh, Antichrist and the false prophet. We anticipated their fall, and here we see these uh, falls or these systems and their fall is being carried out. Now, you notice as you come to chapter 17 and as you come to chapter number 18, Babylon is called a city. As a matter of fact, here in chapter number 18, verse 10, verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, and verse 21, you'll find that Babylon, this system, is referred to as a city. Chapter number 17 ended with these words, referring to Babylon as a city. Chapter 17 ends with these words, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, Bible scholars are divided, aren't they? As to whether or not, that, uh, as to whether or not Babylon, the city, will actually be rebuilt, or if this refers to some other city. And, um, and as far as uh, to whether or not uh, Babylon will be rebuilt, I'm not necessarily sure, but there have been steps to take uh, to rebuild the city. Here's what we know about Babylon. Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq, very near to where Baghdad, Iraq, is located now. Originally, the city of Babylon was known uh, as Babel. It was founded by Nimrod, who was a wicked man. We've read of him in the book of Genesis, a message or two past. It was a city that, uh, that we've already noticed that, uh, that, um, uh, that was uh, built to inhabit the, or to, to house, if you will, a religion, a philosophy that was anti-God, very man-centered, very selfish in its nature, very prideful in its existence. I, I want to quote someone here about Babylon and how that it later became known as Babel, later became known as Babylon uh, under Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what someone has written. Said that under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, it became a city known for its magnificence, known for its luxury, and known for its wealth. It was a city of 15 square miles in area, surrounded by a 56 miles long wall, which was 350 feet high. The massive wall extended 35 feet down into the ground so as to prevent attack under the wall. This wall was 87 feet thick, and around the top of the wall were 250 watchtowers spaced in strategic locations. Outside the wall was a large moat, which surrounded the city and kept full of water from the Euphrates River. It was a city of exquisite beauty. It was the site of the famous Hanging Garden, considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We've all heard of Saddam Hussein. I remember at the capture of Saddam Hussein, I've heard a couple of soldiers say that the soldier that actually, that, that actually put his hands on him said greetings from President George W. Bush, the President of the United States of America. And, uh, but Saddam Hussein was a wicked dictator, was he not? Did you know that during his reign, uh, he, uh, he reconstructed one of the main temples in what is also called Procession Street uh, in Iraq, in Babylon. And in 1987, Saddam Hussein celebrated the first Babylonian festival. Uh, he was also in the process of rebuilding uh, the ancient palace of Nebuchadnezzar with its uh, with its, uh, in its expanse of some 600 rooms. Of course, this thing's been shaping up for a mighty long time. Now, again, whether the actual city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt uh, or not, we don't necessarily know. Uh, some people think that it could be, instead of actually being uh, Babylon in Iraq, that it could be, uh, there are a number of cities that have been suggested. Uh, some believe that it could be Rome, Italy. Some believe and have stated that it could be London, England. Some Tokyo, Japan. Uh, some Jerusalem, Israel, and even some New York City. 
uh, in New York uh, State, in the United States of America. It may be in downtown Troy, Mississippi, for all I know. Uh, But um, I'm not sure which city it will be. But here's what I do know. I do know that commercial Babylon's going to fall. Just as sure as religious Babylon's going to fall, commercial Babylon's going to fall. God's going to cross every T. He's going to dot every I. He's going to fulfill every unfulfilled prophecy just as he's recorded in Scripture. Now, I want you to notice briefly these verses. First of all, notice with me uh, this city of Babylon, how it is referred to. Notice that it is inhabited by devils, the Bible says. You'll notice verse number two, the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Here's what you know about wherever this city is going to be. It'll be the city where the Antichrist, we believe, will rule from, where he will command from, where his meetings with uh, those cohorts of his, those uh, in his cabinet, uh, they will meet. If they don't meet in a conference, a video conference, they'll actually gather physically in some city. We believe it to be over in the Middle East. We don't know that we can give a definitive answer on that uh, from Scripture. But here's what we do know. Wherever the city will be, it will be infested, beloved, uh, with devils. Now, we call them demons in our day. That's the word in which we, lead, which we use. There's, first of all, John speaks of this city as the habitation of devils. You see it right there in verse 2. He says it in that many words, the habitation of devils. We've already seen in different passages where demons, fallen angels, where they're going to be released upon the earth during the days of the tribulation. And it would seem toward the end of the tribulation that these fallen angels are going to be gathered together in one particular locale and one particular location, and God would dispose of them all at the same time. Uh, One writer, one modern-day writer who still lives uh, today, a Bible scholar, this is what he said. He said, when we look at this passage, we see God is gathering all the rotten eggs in one basket before disposing of them. Major cities around our country bear titles, right? We mentioned New York City. It's called the Big Apple. We refer to Las Vegas, Nevada as Sin City. Uh, Los Angeles, California is known as the City of Angels. This particular Babylon is going to be the City of Demons. It's going to be the City of Devils. As a matter of fact, much like how buzzards and and vultures, how that they swarm around. You can almost imagine the activity of, of the devils. It'll be about this city uh, during these days as tribulation is beginning uh, to come to a close. Can you imagine the sin? Now, now I've, never, I've not been to San Francisco since I was a little boy. I lived there when I was little. My little sister lived there. My dad, my biological father, he was stationed there while in the Marine Corps. We lived in Alameda and in San Francisco. Lived within seeing distance of the Golden Gate Bridge. Y'all wouldn't have known that I designed that as a two-year-old, would you? Uh, but uh, I, I can't remember it. I can remember walking out on the pier in Alameda. That's about all I remember about uh, our young uh, days in, in, in uh, California. But understand that San Francisco is a lewd city. As a matter of fact, it's very insulting. Understand, you can drive down some of the thoroughfares and some of the streets in San Francisco, and there'll be people that are unclothed. It's considered one of the homosexual capitals in all of the world, not just in our country, but in all of the world. You can go to New Orleans, Louisiana, and you can feel the darkness when you go into that city. 
I've been through New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans uh, once and spent some time back at the National Southern Baptist Convention years ago. Rode down with uh, Brother Kerry Nelson, Brother Billy Ray Nelson, and uh, a couple of other preachers. We rode down there. You can just, uh, I saw some of the foulest things I've ever seen, some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life in New York City. It's a, it's a foul city. But now, beloved, uh, this city that we're reading about, it'll be even more so. It'll be on a different level. It'll be on another scale. It'll be not just a notch above. It'll be many notches above. Can you imagine what this world would be? Could you imagine what this country would be if he who now ledeth were taken out of the way now? doesn't say it'd be taken out of the world, does it? It said it'd be taken out of the way one of these days. He is the great restrainer. Sometimes we say, well, the devil's uh, having a heyday. He's doing what he wants to do. No, he is not, friend. He is not. There's a restrainer. His name is the Holy Ghost. And he restrains him. He puts handcuffs on him. He allows him to go only so far. He's like a dog on a leash right now. He is still restrained. Even in our day, some of us have had this conversation. I am appalled. Are you not appalled at the young girls that are engaged to be married in our county and and young boys that are engaged to be married to each other in our county. I'm not talking about a young man engaged to be married to a young woman. I'm talking about girls marrying girls and boys marrying boys. I, I, I never thought we'd see that in these United States of America. Can you imagine what it will be, friend, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way? I'm talking about in this city. There'll be the, according to the word of God here, let God be true and every man a liar. He already tells us, looking ahead of, in time, as though it has already taken place, he writes about it here through the pen of John he says he calls it the habitation of devils can you imagine the lewdness and the stench of sin about that particular area of the world not only the habitation of devils but notice he mentions the hold of devils as well in the city he mentions the habitation of devils and then he says and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful uh, bird here in verse number two now this word hold and the word cage both come from the same Greek word. And they both speak of a prison. In other words, this is where they're confined to. This is where they've been brought to. This is where they've been located at just for a little while. Uh, just for a little while, just for a span of time, they have been gathered here. No doubt they'll dominate the city. No doubt they'll intimidate those that are in the city. And notice with me, secondly, not only a city inhabited by the devil. But notice with me of people in that day that will be intoxicated by Babylon's successes. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, this being drunk with the wine of her uh, fornication, it's a frequent description, right? In the book of Revelation, we've already seen that. As a matter of fact, we saw it in chapter 17 in verse 2. That verse says, the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The committing of fornication, being intoxicated uh, with, um, uh, with this political system, this commercial system, it means to be taken away with. It means to be caught up in. It means to, be, uh, to become a part of this religious and commercial enterprises that the Antichrist will instill during the days of the tribulation. To being drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
And now the leaders of the world is going to get caught up in this. And then the people will begin to follow as well. They'll follow uh, suit as well. Now John describes how nations and kings and world leaders and merchants and the common man all uh, will be called up. Now, number one, they'll be intoxicated. Number one, with the philosophies of Babylon. They'll be wholly devoted to following the Antichrist. I mean, they're in, as we would say in the South, they're in whole hog. They're sold out. Uh, they have, the Bible says, have committed fornication with her. Passionately, they'll speak of what the Antichrist is able to accomplish. Uh, vigorously, they will pursue the pursuits of the Antichrist. Again, they'll be caught up in it all. It'll be the talk of the world uh, as they follow this world leader. They'll be seduced and influenced by him. And then there's the propaganda man before he goes off the scene. The false prophet, that he'll, he'll be a dynamic spokesman, and there he'll be. He'll, every time you turn the TV on, he'll hold press conferences and, and be pointing people to the Antichrist. The strong delusion will have been given that's written of by this time in Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. And people are going to be hoodwinked. As a matter of fact, isn't it amazing? I mean, you talk about something long enough and people believe it. Uh, you, let me just give you some far-fetched idea, something like a Russian collusion uh, a president might be involved in or, uh, you know, or this quick uh, pro-crow crow business. Can I say it like that? And you hear it long enough, and people that hadn't got any better sense, had people that hadn't got any better sense will listen to it. You know, I said something here recently, chasing a rabbit, and I've talked to some preachers about this. And I had, as late as yesterday, one of our men say, Preacher, I needed that. I was chasing the rabbit. There's a verse got on my heart while I was preaching out of Proverbs. It talks about you removing your foot from your neighbor's house. And I talked about what a blessing. What a blessing. Closeness is. What a blessing that is, right? I could call Chris Wilburn at 2 in the morning. And he had come to my aid. And I believe as mean as Brian Jenkins is, he would too. You men know that if I didn't get all of you in the text, please accept my apology. I'm not the best at this. I shot a group text here a few weeks ago, and Brother Jay, excuse me, Brother Jay Pruitt, he, he messaged me, and he said, I think you meant that for our men, but you sent it to a preacher's group. And he said, let me copy and paste it. For He's bailed me out more times than I can count. Closeness is a good thing, but distance is a good thing. And you see, when you listen to things, it colors your thinking. It colors your thinking. Y'all forgive me, but that's one reason why I stay to myself so much. My phone rings off the hook. Well, it ain't on the hook. It's in my back pocket these days. But forgive me. That's one reason why. As a matter of fact, if, I, if I'm going to preach on Sunday and Wednesday and teach at the Bible Institute and do a radio program and answer questions i got to spend some time in the study, don't I? I've got to spend some time on my knees, and sometimes that time is on my face. You say on your face, preacher, literally, literally on my face. I've got to spend some time away from folk, right? Surely I do. As a matter of fact, let me say this. Should God call me home today, it's been stated that way. If, 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 if God calls me home this day, if it be through a heart attack or a car accident or an aneurysm in the night that burst, and God uses that as a doorway to get me into heaven. When you go looking for your next preacher, you pray God send you somebody that will preach to you. I'd rather have, if I were sitting on the pew, I'd rather have somebody that will open the Bible and say, now this verse means that, and you apply it this way in your life, 
I need that more than I need for you to hold my hand or take me out to eat or take me to a ball game. And look, we'll go to eat if you want to go eat. You foot the bill. I don't eat out that much. I don't. I don't eat out a lot. You don't know how simple, how simplified my life is. And I aim to keep it that way. As a matter of fact, I've got some safeguards in my life you may not understand, but if you were to ask me about them, I'll be happy to tell you about them. And uh, if, 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 for example, I mentioned two of our men. Let's just say, uh, me and these two men I mentioned, let's just say we run together all the time. We eat at Hardy's every morning. We, um, we go down to the other restaurant and eat in the buffet for lunch. And then in the evening we meet and discuss politics while watching um, Tucker Carlson and 7 o'clock news. Eventually, their ideas will come out, and that will color what I'm reading in the Bible. Is that right? Closeness is a good thing. Distance is a good thing. You can get caught up in anything, and these people in this day is going to be caught up in, in the agenda, the agenda of the Antichrist. They're going to get caught up in it. They're intoxicated with the philosophies of Babylon. They're intoxicated with the prosperities of Babylon. Verse 3. Notice what he writes here in verse number 3. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, you forgive me if I'm not on the same bandwagon with you. But I don't believe socialism prevails in the last days. I believe capitalism prevails in the last days. I believe that. As a matter of fact, there have been places in Revelation I've not even touched them. Maybe for time's sake or I felt led as we would come to near the end of a service, I didn't touch it. You remember when we come out of uh, chapter number 5 into chapter number 6, the seven-sealed book, which is the legal right that the Lord has to this world? And he's going to, as those seven seals begin to be opened, the first four of those have horsemen and riders, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. I also believe that that book is the, the absolute will of God for the last days. And they will be carried out. Everything he has written therein will be meted and carried out. But you remember the rider of that third horse. You remember he said, uh, he said a bushel of wheat, or what was it? Uh, what, was it what was the phrase of wheat for a penny? It amounted to a quarter, uh, a quart of wheat, or three measures. It was a measure. Three measures of barley for a penny. It was the denarii. A man would work all day. But it goes on down, and it says this. It says, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Whereas the wheat and the barley are staples for man. Uh, the oil and the wine, the cosmetics and things that come from that, those are luxuries for the rich. We believe that that will be a controlled economic collapse. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it might surprise us to know what does go on behind the scenes in higher places today. But nevertheless, the Antichrist is going to control the wealth of the world, friend. There will be many that will prosper. And through that, he'll control the people. Let me read a verse that we read in a message, two or three messages ago out of 2 Timothy 6, 10. Listen to what this verse says. It speaks to the depravity of man. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 6, in verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Didn't say money is evil, did it? Didn't say money is evil. Matter of fact, money is a good tool. It's a good tool. It says money is the root of all evil. People kill people over money. People turn their back on their own mothers for money. Women 
leave husbands for money. Husbands leave wives for money. Some children grow up and renounce their raising for money, for money. God help us. Get all you can. Can all you get. That's the way it'll be. It'll be prosperity. Prosperity. Notice with me lastly. Not only a city inhabited with devils and a people intoxicated with the successes of Babylon and Babylonianism. But look at, the, look at verse number 4. Notice, the, notice with me a city marked for destruction. Verse number 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Here's this other message it comes. It's amazing, isn't it? Same message we've heard throughout the word of God. In the Old Testament, the New Testament alike. In the New Testament, our go-to verse for biblical separation is 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God's always called on his people to be distinct, right? And to be different. God calls his people to be distinctly different. I said this before you last Sunday. I, I detest legalism and Phariseeism. Some people have called biblical separation things. It actually is not. I detest that. Putting people in bondage. But I do want to say this. Biblical separation is a doctrine taught in the Bible. We are to be different. Our language ought to be different. Our lives ought to be different. We ought to be a testimony. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me, if you will, Babylon is marked for liquidation, friend. Notice with me, if you will, in verse number 5, the reach of Babylon's sins. The Bible says, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Her sins have reached. That word reach means to be welded together, or it means to be glued together. And the idea of their sins reaching unto heaven, the idea of that is that of piling up. Their sins have piled up. Much like if you were to go down this west wall of this church sanctuary here, you'll find where there was, a, there was a footing that was poured many years ago, and there are bricks piled up to the eve of the church. They're stacked up to the eve of the church. So it is on the east side of the sanctuary, so it is. And, beloved, this is a scary thought, isn't it? That the sins of Babylon are so piled up and stacked up that they're reaching the heavens. They are ever before God. I thought about uh, Isaiah 43, 25. The Bible says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine, for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. There's nothing God doesn't know. Sometimes you hear somebody testify, and I know they mean well, but they'll say, well, now, God doesn't, God doesn't know about what I've done. There's nothing God doesn't know. God chooses not to remember. In other words, what that means is God takes his ledger, and where the man that's not come to Calvary, there's a listing of his sins. He's violated the law of God. Thank God when it comes to our ledger, he walked over to the chalkboard and he erased it all. In Calvary, you say, what kind of sins? After Brother Curtis preached last 
uh, Sunday, I forget now who it was that approached and said, Brother Kevin said, where are those things that God hates? Where are they at? You know where they are. They're Proverbs chapter number 6. And then ask, what are those things that God hates? What are those sins that God hates? Listen to what Solomon wrote. Proverbs 6, verse number 16 through 19. The Bible says, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. That word abomination means seven things are detestable unto him. He says, number one, a proud look. That's where that preacher preached last Sunday. We needed that. I needed that. We needed that. He said, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. He said, God hates this. He said, God hates an heart that deviseth a wicked imagination, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Then he says, God hates a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I thought about where sins are listed elsewhere. In Galatians chapter number 5, I often quote, Uh, those verses regarding the fruit of the Spirit. But the Bible says concerning the flesh and the sins of it. The Bible says in Galatians 5, beginning of verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Then he said, and such like. He said the list could go on and on and on. The reach of Babylon's sins. We really ought to clear us a spot off and shout for all we're worth. God is chosen because of the sacrifice of Christ. God is chosen to not charge our account. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. Notice verse number 6, the rewards of Babylon's sins, the rewards. Watch verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled to her double. You know what that word reward means? It means pay a debt. Give that which is due. Reward. Reward. God's no man's debtor, is he? God's no man's debtor. God pays his bills. He pays his bills. Um, I remember years ago coming across the story of this pastor in a small farming community. Had a handful of members in the church where he labored. He had tried to witness to a farmer who claimed he was saved. And he was by and was talking to him one day and he said, uh, you say you're saved. Don't you want to be a part of the church? Don't you want to grow in the Lord, be a part of the fellowship? He said, Pastor, he said, uh, pointed up the bottom. He said, oh, so-and-so lives up there. And said, uh, said I don't know what it is, but he, he does the best he can. Every time you all open the doors, he's there. He said, I don't know, but if I were to check, I would say he's a tither and he gives an offering. And said, every time I turn around, he's got equipment that's breaking. He's working on, trying to make ends meet. And, and he said, I never go. He said, I don't hurt anybody. I pay my debts. I don't ever go to church. And it seems like I've got all these blessings. I always have a good crop. My equipment uh, seems to do well. No major breakdowns. The wise old preacher said to him, he said, uh, I get what you're saying, but I want you to understand something. 
He said, God doesn't always pay up in the fall of the year, but he will pay up. And the devil may be seemingly getting away scot-free these days. There's coming a day when the Lord's going to pay up. He'll look him in the eye. And he's time to pay up. So it is with the Antichrist, the false prophet, and those that will follow. Now, God's going to pay back, according to this verse, going to pay Babylon back double. Double's been her sins. Double's going to be her pay. Look at verse number 7. Notice the attitude of the Antichrist and his kingdom in those days. Look at the, look at the attitude of the Antichrist and his kingdom. Verse 7, how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she hath said in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Instead of glorifying God, she's interested in glorifying herself. This word deliciously, it's an interesting word. It means to be wanton, or it means to revel. If you look up and do a study on the etymology of this word, the root of the word, it, it literally speaks of being haughty and headstrong. You saw what she said. You saw the attitude. Look at verse number 7 again. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, been headstrong, been haughty. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she hath said in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. She's lived with the attitude. I do what I want to do. I do when I want to do. I do as I want to do. She lives with the attitude, no rules, no boundaries, no standards, no principles for me other than the principles that I deem necessary. She reminds me of what you'll find in Judges 17, verse 6, Judges 18, verse 1, Judges 19, verse 1, Judges 21, verse 25, where the Bible says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, situational ethics. But it'll come to an end. It'll come to an end. Lastly, look at verse 8. Let me make just a brief statement or two, and I'll be done. Verse 8, we read of this torment and sorrow that's going to come upon her. Watch this. Verse 8, therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. said it's all coming in one day. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God. Who judgeth her one day. There won't be a digression of things, nor a progression, a slight progression of God's judgment, but it's going to come like slamming a door. It'll come like slamming my hand on the sacred desk this morning. It's all going to come when least expected, and they're going to go to hell in their shirt tail. It's all going to happen in a moment, suddenly. I can't help but uh, think of a dear brother. He's down in the Philadelphia, Mississippi area. He's been used of the Lord. I won't call his name. Some of our friends that will listen to this will know exactly who I'm talking about. He has dementia. I asked Brother Sable about him during the meeting. They live not too far from each other. I said, how's Brother and he said, well, his mind kind of comes and goes. 
Strangely, he may not can call your name, though he may know you, but you can take a guitar. Brother Sable takes his over there, and he can strum and sing, and our brother don't miss a word. He said last time he was over, he said, I took my guitar and put it in his lap, and I reached around behind him, and I chorded and played and sung and said he never missed a word. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I don't know how many children he has had, but I know two of his boys. One of them got right in a, in a Bible conference service one night at Robertson Chapel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa. Um, a dear brother, dear friend to many of us around the South. Went to be with the Lord just a year or so ago. He pastored there for a lot of years. A couple of us were privileged along with the Rollins to be part of the camp meeting and preach that night. The one that I'm referring to, he's about six foot eight, like a baby on that front row. He, I mean, just sobbed and cried, asked God's forgiveness. Said he'd been a prodigal for a lot of years. He got right with God, been back in his church ever since in South Mississippi, been serving the Lord. As a matter of fact, on my Facebook, a lot of times he hits like or I'm praying for you or something along that line. And we've remained friends ever since that service. But he had another son. He was very rebellious. He hated what his daddy stood for. He'd go by his mama's house, his mama and daddy's house. He'd cuss at them, talk about that old religion they raised him in. If you've never had a, a child filled with bitterness, you don't know what it is to have sleep and appetite robbed from you. On this one particular evening, this other son cussed his daddy. If you knew him, it'd break your heart to know some of the things that he did to his daddy and to his mama. They kept praying just like you'd pray for your kids. He was drinking beer. Talked to his daddy like a dog. Broke his mama's heart. It's been a little over a decade ago. Those who saw him in the bottom said he was just in and out, just in and out, passing cars. He got behind an 18-wheeler, and instead of slowing down, he just jumped right on out around them and met another one head on. And, of course, the car spun around into the ditch, and those who witnessed it said it's one of the most awful things they'd ever seen in their life. He burned up. He was pinned in the car, and he was burned alive. Did you read the verse before us? There's going to come a day when the Lord's going to say, it's enough. That's it. And it's going to happen like that. And they're going to be burned, the Bible says, with fire. I'm glad I know the Lord today. One of our ladies that is in here this morning, I referred to this, I think, maybe Wednesday night. After speaking with a lady and ministering to a lady, the last two years, she led a lady to the Lord recently. One of our preachers gave testimony in the prayer room this morning about a young man about 30 years of age. He was able to share the gospel with him. The young man's heart was receptive. He was gloriously saved. I believe it was on Wednesday night, wasn't it, Brother Dustin? As a matter of fact, Brother Dustin told him, said, you need to give testimony to this. And he 
He said, well, who can I call? And he said, well, let's call my preacher. You can tell him about it. He did. And I rejoiced. I've been rejoicing ever since. God's still saving those that have come to him. You may be here today. You've never come to him, never come to Christ. Would you? Would you do that in this service? I want us to stand. Brother Greg, will you get us a hymn of invitation? Miss Angie, will you, will you two come, please?